My name is Sherilyn Hearn, and I'm the author of Blind and Willing, which is a piece of uh, women's fiction set in modern time. Um, this is my most recent complete book, um, not the one I'm working on at the moment. So this is about a mm, middle-aged woman, Lillian, who finds herself uh, widowed very unexpectedly. And... Um, just some things she goes through with her children. She has kind of a crazy sister and she's, um, it's not really like on a path to find herself. She knows herself pretty well, but she discovers some things about her husband and I guess life in general uh, once she's suddenly without him. And I'm going to read um, perhaps all, if not a good portion of uh, chapter one. Lillian stared out of the tall, narrow windows like she did most mornings, like she had done for most of her adult life. The cardinals were already busy flying from branch to branch, chasing one another from nowhere in particular to nowhere in particular. The squirrels ran so fast up and down the trees and the fence, she could barely spot them sometimes. If only she still had energy like that. As she sipped her coffee, tapping the side with her fingernail as the cream pinwheels on the surface decorated her favorite macadamia roast. She was reminded of the difference in this morning, that it was her second cup. She had nowhere to go, no one's breakfast to make, no one to share the pot or leave wet spoons and brown rings on her grandmother's end tables. Just a week before, or was it eight days now, she looked at her watch as if it may suddenly display a calendar and wondered if she was losing track of days. Since the funeral, she'd been sure to keep busy, promising herself she would not let her house or her appearance slide away in some desperate fog of grief. She'd hushed away the many offers of meals and visits, and two days earlier, the last of her three out-of-town children had abandoned their rooms again, lingered awkwardly in the driveway, and finally disappeared through the wrought iron gates, just like every Christmas and Father's Day. The thought somehow caught in her throat. She supposed they would only come for Christmas now. Annie took it the hardest, she supposed. Their only girl had been close to her father and just needy in general. Long after her brothers had driven away, she hesitated still. Her son Eli curled up in her legs, rocking against her the way he did when he was restless. He was better off at home, in his own environment, and Lillian said so, tucking him into the back seat and closing Annie's door. I'll be fine, honey. I'm a big girl. Hey, you'll be fine too. We all will. She squeezed her hand one last time and pushed away from the car so it could float away. Had she been convincing? Annie backed out and drove away, so Lillian's mission was accomplished for the moment. She and her husband had always held down the fort for their children, discussing money problems in the confines of their bed in hushed voices, tabling disagreements until they left for school, and explaining real-world problems in G-rated, sugary narratives. But they were grown now, smart and capable. It wasn't a lie. They would all be okay. She could only see a faux reflection of herself in the mid-morning glass, but everything seemed in place. Behind her, the kitchen was tidy after her egg and cottage cheese two hours before. Even the spoon from her coffee had already been rinsed and poked into the weak plastic basket in the dishwasher. Yes, she had indeed kept her promise to herself. But was she losing days? One. She had misplaced one day. Anyone could do that. So she supposed it was nine days before, when he'd been sitting right there with her, staring out at the sun, struggling to get up and over the barn, 
When it finally peeked over, all of the dew danced from the trees, and he commented, his voice still deep from sleep, that the bagworms were especially bad that year. What are bagworms? He raised an eyebrow like he always did when she asked something he thought everyone in the free world should know. But she was his city girl, his sparkle and shine. There were things about birds and dirt and the softness of pine versus the strength of oak that no one had taught her on the Upper East Side. She liked that he knew things she didn't. She enjoyed needing his answers. So they'd walked out towards the stunted pasture where only grass grew, Cam pointing at the spun cotton webs hanging from the oak trees and the thorny locust branches tangled up tight like a gum seed in a little girl's hair. She half listened, enjoying his voice enough that the subject matter was irrelevant. There was something about worms and leaves, and eventually the clusters would fall to the ground and come apart, blow away, or meet their fate under the mower. The years had worn a man-sized trail through the grass to the barn, and three-fourths of the way there was a young pecan tree they'd called the hitching post. When it was younger, still, they had gotten married underneath it, and for months after the ribbons and flower petals that had been strewn everywhere still held onto the trunk, reminding them of that day. They must have passed it beneath that tree a thousand times since then. The last time had been nine days before. The quiet, empty house occurred to her again. Where would she find answers now? She tried to remember a time when she didn't need him, but the memory was either too old or too contrary to summon. They were just a boy and a girl once upon a time, younger than their own children now by quite a few years. They had nothing but each other and their big dreams. Day by day, they'd chase them together, one by one. The flowers from Bonnie still looked good on the kitchen island. She was a good sister, despite her overbearing personality and controlling habits. She would call sometime that day, like she had every day for nine days, for the ninth mantra about moving on and staying young, breathing the air, and putting on lipstick. Lillian was beginning to hate the term moving on. Was her husband just a crack in the sidewalk? Her marriage a burst of wind that blew for a spell, and now she should just pull her coat tight and keep walking? She looked down at Cam's chair. They had been identical chairs when they bought them, placing them angled towards one another and the windows all at once. But the years had changed them. His was a little more worn, a little darker, and a little less likely to spring back when he'd get to his feet. Lillian's chair looked much like it had the day he brought it in. Perhaps this sentiment could explain why she was standing there and he was not. He was about four miles away, under a stone that bore both of their names, in a few weeks, his name would have two dates under it, while hers would still just have the one. Of course, he wasn't really there at all. She knew that. But she wasn't sure she could say exactly where he was. She didn't feel him or imagine him watching her. She didn't sense his presence or have secret conversations with him, whispering guiltily into the empty air. No, she really couldn't say where her husband was. Another first. Every day for nine days, she'd been encountering experiences, decisions, and people that each screamed with impossibility without Cam to steer the way. She was smart and capable, but he was the person she consulted. Whether they were choosing new fencing or trying a new cholesterol, low cholesterol butter, his opinion was a necessity, if only because she enjoyed including him and asking him and listening to his thoughtful commentaries. No one else was like that. Bonnie would just try and make all the decisions like she had with the funeral, which she perceived to be helpful, but really came across as patronizing and insensitive. 
The kids were instantly infantile any time she required any kind of teamwork. All she needed was some food. There needed to be food in the house after the funeral. How hard was it to throw together a vegetable tray or arrange some crackers around a cheese ball? But instead, they traveled back in time and argued about everything. Annie needed gluten-free, Cam was recently vegetarian, and Adam found both of these requirements to be trendy and pretentious and dumb, and had he stomped his feet and crossed his arms while going on about it, no one would have blinked. They each thought they too were being helpful, but that all of their efforts were being thwarted by the other two. They were saturated in contempt and self-pity and immediately wanted their mother to take their side. As much as she loved them, and even while she carried some responsibility for their prickly tendencies, they were no help when Lillian needed it. She had raised them to need her, not the other way around. She had girlfriends and people who worked with Cam. So many offers to sit with her, cook for her, call on her, shop for her. And the most disturbing was her neighbor, Janine, who insisted she could run Lillian's bath. It wasn't quite as insane as it sounded. It came with a long list of aromatherapy scents and samples and all the proven scientific benefits, including relief from stress, grief, and, of course, sexual frustration. Janine was eccentric and lived alone, with the exception of two massive Great Danes. She insisted were the reincarnations of her first and second husbands, Dale and Charlie. Lillian humored her. She had a sweet spirit and an unclouded energy that Lillian could appreciate. Janine seemed to fear nothing. How could anyone fault whatever bizarre beliefs made that possible? Wasn't everyone afraid of just about everything? Lillian certainly was. It wasn't things like paying the bills or figuring out who would mow the lawn or take down the Christmas lights. What she feared most was the possibility of the next nine months or nine years being an excruciating repeat of those last nine days. What would become of her? She was Mrs. Cameron, but without Mr. Cameron, was that even true anymore? The house couldn't get any cleaner. The car had been serviced. She looked one last time through the giant holes that invited the outside world into her home and invited those in her home to venture outside. Bagworms. The Cameron's barn came with the house. They hadn't set out to have a barn, but unless they wanted to live in the city or in the suburbs, you wouldn't find a house in Pine Island without one. All of the surrounding farms, as far as you could see from the back porch, had big houses, big barns, and roughly 50 times as much land as Lillian's property. It was the reason their house was a steal, the only reason it was unattractive to other shoppers in Pine Island, and of course, the lucky break for two kids in love. They weren't married yet. In fact, they weren't even planning a wedding. Then Cam showed up with the keys to that house, dragging Lillian by the arm, leading her towards his broken-down truck, all dull blue except for one gray fender. He said he had something to show her, but it was an hour away on a school night. Luckily, her parents loved Cam, and they really had zero reservations about her going just about anywhere with him. On the way, he told her what he knew. Okay, I know we haven't set a date, and I haven't even gotten you a ring, but this guy at work was telling me this crazy story about this house in Pine Island. Cam worked at a market a few blocks from Times Square, so between the tourists and the locals, there was always a crazy story to be told. Lillian lived on the Upper West Side with her parents and Bonnie until the previous fall when Bonnie moved to the dorms at Columbia. She was extremely vocal about the fact that she loved Cam, but that no man was worth skipping college and getting saddled with an apron and gardening gloves. But that was Bonnie. All she knew was that her sister loved Cam, 
and they wanted to get married, and she had already filled in the rest of the blanks. Their parents were probably the ones in their building or their block who favored love or money and thought Lillian should do whatever made her happy. They were definitely fish out of water in Manhattan. Lillian and Bonnie also went to public school, drove used cars, and had never had a nanny. You remember Pine Island, right? They talked about it in Econ, and then Jeremy was talking about his uncle, the onion farmer. Anyway, everyone there are onion farmers, or most anyway, and some have been for generations with these massive farms and old plantation-style houses with barns and long driveways. Beautiful, right? Lillian just nodded. He was so excited, bouncing along with his truck, equipped with the same shocks, while Lillian held on to the door and the seat and prayed. She just loved to hear him talk. So I'm not a farmer, so who cares, right? But there was this family, the Raymonds, or was it the Raywood? Anyway, they had this great farm like 50 years ago. There were all these stories about generations of family that lived there, and even one story that a family fortune was hidden in the floor of the barn. It had been in the family forever. Then there was just the one son, and he inherited it, become a farmer, found a wife. So at first, everything's great. But it turns out, this lady hates the farm. She just thought, it would pass or something, but obviously it wasn't going to. Anyway, she just wanted the money. She thought he loved her enough that she could talk him into selling and do something in the city. Cam finally stopped to breathe. Oh my gosh, Cam, slow down. You're so funny. Lillian just laughed and Cam did pause for a moment and then rolled his eyes to remember where he was in his story and started in again. His thin hair hung too low in his eyes and every time he turned to see that Lillian was listening, it followed him back and forth the theater curtains to his exciting tale. He was clean cut otherwise, but made his mother crazy avoiding haircuts. So this went on for years, her unhappy and him trying to make her happy and the whole town knowing the story. So in one of his many attempts at pleasing her, he took her to New York, to Rockefeller Center, Radio City Music Hall, shopping, you know, like you and your mom do all the time. He elbowed her and grinned wide and alive, often teasing her for her good fortune and his completely opposite upbringing, casting himself as the bad guy from the wrong side of the tracks, but they were more alike than anyone knew. Go on, smarty pants. She sighed and crossed her arms defiantly, feigning insult. Yeah, so they went to New York. This was like in the 60s or something, and they got mugged one night, walking to their car, which she had wanted to valet, but he insisted on parking and walking. Anyway, they shot him when he wouldn't give up his wedding ring. He died right there on the street. She went home and had the funeral and everything. Everyone in town talking how she didn't deserve him and thinking she would leave. Some even started rumors that she had set up the mugging. He paused then, waiting for a response. But Lillian just batted her eyelashes and listened intently. There were offers on the farm right away, but she wouldn't sell because she wanted to find that money in the barn, which everyone figured probably didn't even exist. Anyway... But she wanted the money, so she started selling off just the land. She let all the crops die, sold it off piece by piece to neighboring farms looking to increase their acreage. Lillian couldn't believe he was telling this whole story, that he even remembered it. But the backdrop to their drive had floated from the busy city to the flat country, and watching the rows of fresh seedlings as he talked about the farmers took her away to a place she had never been. The sounds were muted and the smells were new. Even the air tickled the hair of her arms like a new friend. They were still in the state of New York, but they could have easily been in Kansas or Nebraska or anywhere for that matter. 
So she wouldn't hire a man to help her because she didn't want anyone to know about the money. And she was constantly trying to find it, but she couldn't lift a hammer or break a nail. And I guess it was a big joke in town because she was always out in that barn. When the mail or the milkman came, everyone knew what she was up to. So finally, there's nothing left but the house and the barn and like a square of land around it and the driveway, like right in the middle of all these huge onion farms. She hated onions and complained about the smell and made a big performance out of refusing onions when they ate out. He was getting off topic, but impressing Lillian with the endless details he had held on to. When had he heard this story? Was he on a lunch break? She smiled, and he continued. So one night, she was out in the barn as usual, but for some reason, she went up in the hayloft, which was weird since all the stories were that the treasure was on the floor. But anyway, she did, and she had on this long, frilly robe thing, and it got caught or something, and she fell down through the opening. Wait, have you ever been in a barn, Lil? No, sir. Okay, well, there's this big floor, bottom floor. Then the second floor is for hay storage. But there's a big hole somewhere to get up there and get it down. So technically it's not an entire second floor. So it's a loft. Noted. She smiled again with her hands in her lap, a wide-eyed girl giving him her full attention as he narrated beautifully. He shook his head knowing she was teasing. So she died, snapped her neck. No money, no farm, family legacy gone, all for greed. His voice had slowed and softened, and suddenly Lillian wished she hadn't been silly. That was a great story, Cam. She offered her hand. It's been empty ever since. People that want to live out there want acreage. People who don't want acreage don't want to live way out there. The owner is selling cheap. She's a second cousin of the husband or something, and she lives in Maine. But the property manager lives in Brooklyn, and he told us this whole story. So someone died there? The wife? Lillian's stomach turned as she imagined a woman lying in a pile of her own blood and fancy pajamas. Just in the barn, he explained, hopefully, and shrugged, letting his acceptance fill the cab and infect her as well. Hmm. Sad, though. Wait, Cam. I thought you were just telling a story. Are you telling me you want to buy this house? You mean like you and I? That you want us to live there in Pine Island? But Cam just smiled set his eyes on the asphalt, and kept driving. Twenty minutes later, the sign welcoming them to Pine Island slowly came into focus. It claimed to be the heart of black dirt country, which made Lillian run her tongue over her teeth and imagine smashed-up Oreos and gummy worms. Before they knew it, they had driven right through it, and they were on another dusty road watching farms pass on both sides. When they came to the mailbox, it said Ransom, 7623. Ransom, that was the name! He shook his head and balanced one forearm on the wheel as she covered her mouth to contain a giggle. All those details, and he had gotten the name really wrong. I see the house, I think. Up ahead, she saw the pillars and the courtyard, all shaded by ancient trees and emulating all things gone with the wind. The house was white, with two sets of stairs leading to the wraparound porch, which had rocking chairs on it that Lillian knew were older than she was, and she thought might have turned to dust if someone tried to sit in them. The front doors were a deep gold yellow with skinny windows on all sides and a wrought iron knocker that had to be a foot tall. Oh, Cam. She understood why he had brought her. He knew her so well. Here we are. He stopped the truck midway through half circle in front of the largest set of stairs. Despite its daunting, majestic facade, closer inspection found the paint chipping, the steps bowing, and the columns nearly petrified. Cam unlocked the front door and didn't speak. He just let her wander from room to room, 
following her close behind, not wanting to interrupt what he knew to be her falling in love with every transparent valance and every ugly brass knob. There were two fireplaces and a sunroom on the back. One entire wall had no windows, and yet it faced the back of the house. We could put windows in here. She was almost whispering. Yeah, anything you want. Probably didn't have any on account of the sun porch. As he said it, she was through the door. Even through the sun porch, and there it was. About eight car lengths away stood the barn where Eleanor Ransom had fallen to her death. That would bother some people. But the idea made Lillian positively hum. It was as big as the house, and when Lillian saw Cam look at it, she knew the house was hers, but he was here for that barn. He took her hand, and they almost ran towards it, stopping just short next to a tree whose branches were barely taller than they were. We could get married right here, right here under this tree in front of our barn with our home behind us. Her eyes teared up, but she shook them anyway. Oh, Cam, come on. She pulled on his arm and the moment passed. He yanked the old barn door two stories high until it started to creep open. The inside was dark and giant, but as the door opened, the sunlight poured in and she could see tools and hay bales and implements she had never seen. They were quiet and still as they tiptoed around, touching things now and then, blowing dust off of workbenches and kicking stall doors to get them to open. Lillian remembered standing in front of that barn for the first time like it was yesterday. As she looked at it again, for the first time in nine days, she thought about all the things that were different, but more about all the things that were just as Cam had found them, undisturbed for 32 years. Cam respected age. He used to talk about Mr. Ransom and his things as if they were old friends. So, Mr. Ransom, what tool would I need to capture some bags of worms?' 